good to be back. I missed you guys last week. I didn't miss you too much because I was in the Holy Land, so I was having a pretty good time. Um, I can't wait to tell you more about my trip. It was a fantastic time. We go on pilgrimages so that we can be in these places where Jesus lived and where he walked and where he ministered and all these events that we read about in the Gospels took place. And it's a beautiful reminder to us that you know, our faith isn't based on myth or legend or anything, but it's based on history and geography. This particular trip I was on was a clergy familiarization pilgrimage, so it was just priests and deacons that were with me. And the, the group that took us there took us there not only so that we could go on pilgrimage and, and go to these holy places, but to educate us as to the plight of the, the dwindling Christian population that lives there. It's less than 2% of the population of the Holy Land is Christian. And so the Christian families that are there are struggling to, to hang on, and they rely on, on groups coming from outside, from all over the world, to, to come and, and worship at these churches and venerate at these shrines and, uh, and yeah, bring their, their money too, right, to provide for the livelihood of these people. So it was as much a mission trip as anything else. And uh, part of the agreement that we entered into when we went was that within 24 months, that we would become leaders of our own pilgrimages and bring a group there. So Father Paul and I have been talking already and we hope within the next two years to, to bring a group from our church, to, to bring you guys with us to go. So stay tuned for more information about that. But I really hope and pray that many of you will be able to go with me and, and see some of what, what I've been able to see. That's not what I want to talk about today though. Today I want to give you a pop quiz. You ready? Got your thinking caps on? I'm going to test your knowledge of the Old Testament. Three questions, three question pop quiz. Number one, when does God first prohibit murder? When does he first make a law against murder? You might think Exodus or the Ten Commandments or something. It was a little bit earlier than that. It was in the uh, covenant that he established with Noah after the flood. It's the first time that God prohibits murder is in the, the covenant with Noah. You read about that in Genesis chapter 9. Okay, second question. When was the first murder committed? Cain and Abel. Yeah, I see everyone making the uh, Cain and Abel. That one's an easy one, right? Cain and Abel, when Cain murdered his brother Abel. Now, that happened a long time before Noah. Nine generations, if I counted right, nine generations before Noah was when that happened. So this is my third question. Given that Cain killed Abel before God issued a specific decree against murder, was that a sin? Was Cain sinning when he killed Abel? Yes, this is not a trick question, right? It's an easy quiz. Yes, it was a sin, and, and that's obvious that it was a sin. This is why Cain was cursed because of his actions. Even before God had laid down an explicit law against murder, murder was still wrong. And, moreover, Cain was expected to know that it was wrong. And that's why God could justly punish him for it. This, this illustrates a principle, what I'm doing here. I wanted to illustrate this important principle about the moral law that will help us to understand what Jesus is doing in the gospel that we just read. Okay. Catholic moral teaching is not legalistic. I want you to understand me in that. Catholic moral teaching is not legalistic. 
sometimes people get that impression or they'll accuse Catholics of being legalists because they perceive us to have so many different rules in the church. And sometimes Catholics themselves will, will think this way. But the moral teaching of the church is not legalistic. Legalism is a system of moral philosophy that says something is wrong because it is forbidden. In other words, in this way of thinking, morality is determined by the law. If there's a law that prohibits it, it's wrong. But if there's not, then it's permissible. I, I think sometimes we can get confused if we conflate the religious disciplines that we have with morality, because religious disciplines are another matter. For example, Lent is coming up, right? You're all ready? In Lent, the church says that we should not eat meat on Fridays during Lent. That's a religious discipline that is binding to us as Catholics. So that's why it's not a sin for your Baptist or Methodist friends to have a hamburger on Fridays during Lent. Right? They're not bound by, those, by that religious discipline. Okay? There's nothing sinful about eating meat on any given day of the week. So if you willfully, as a Catholic, choose to eat meat on Friday during Lent, the sin is not in having a hamburger. That's not sinful. The sin is in disobeying the authority of the church. But matters of morality are entirely different. Right? When you commit murder, or when you steal from someone, or when you tell a lie, or you commit adultery, these things are not sins because they happen to be forbidden by the church. They're forbidden because they are sins. The law does not make them sins. The law is there, in this case, to help us steer clear of them. But they're wrong with or without the law. They're wrong because they violate the goodness of human nature and our human dignity. And that's called natural law morality. And that's the system of morality that's always been favored by the church because it's based on how God made us. It's based on what it means to be a human being. It's the law that's written on our hearts that St. Paul references in Romans. So I'll give an example of what I mean by this. Murder. Why is murder wrong? Well, in the original prescription against murder that God laid down in his covenant with Noah, God says directly, he says, anyone who sheds the blood of a human being, by a human being shall that one's blood be shed, for in the image of God have human beings been made. Genesis 9, 6. God tells us why murder is wrong. I made you in my image. In the image of God, human beings have been made. We're made in the image of God, and that means that every human life has innate value and dignity that needs to be respected, irrespective of any other considerations, such as age or ability or so-called quality of life. Every human life is of infinite value. And so murder is wrong because of who we are, not because there's a law against it, right? Murder is wrong because of who we are. Now, sometimes God does choose to make specific laws for his people, and there are many of them in the Old Testament. In fact, the first five books of the Old Testament are called the books of the law. If you count them up, there's more than 600 different laws and prescriptions there that deal not just with morality, but matters of legal justice and matters of ritual worship. They have laws against shaving the sides of your head, right? That's why you see Hasidic Jews and they have the, the long hair on the sides of their face. They have laws that dictate what you're not allowed to eat, the types of clothing that you can wear. 
God gave this law to the chosen people, not only because he was trying to teach them how to be good people, but he was establishing them to be a people that were set apart from the other cultures that were around them and giving them a particular way to live and a particular way to pray and to worship. And he was doing all of this, most importantly, to prepare them for the coming of the Messiah. Now, by the time of Christ, the keepers of that law, especially the Pharisees, had become so obsessed with every word and letter that the law had become something oppressive to the people. The Pharisees had a nickname. They were called the wall builders because they had created so many additional layers of law around the divine law as a hedge to keep people from even coming close to violating God's law. For example, it's against the Ten Commandments to take the Lord's name in vain. So they said, okay, what's the easiest way to make sure no one takes the Lord's name in vain? We won't allow people to say it at all. Right? So there was a prescription against saying the Lord's name at all. Or the law to keep the Sabbath holy. Well, how do you keep the Sabbath holy? They had list after list after list of exactly what you were and were not allowed to do on the Sabbath. Right? They built a hedge around this law. And Jesus accuses these Pharisees of laying heavy burdens on the people. But then when Jesus describes his own burden, he says that it's light. Jesus heals people on the Sabbath. Jesus' followers eat without going through these ritual purity, you know, hand-washing rituals. He associates with people who are considered to be unclean. And the Pharisees see him doing all of these things, and so they accuse him of violating the law. This is why he's in conflict with the Pharisees so often. So here in our gospel today, Jesus declares for us that he has not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. The old law has achieved its purpose, and now it's time for God's people not to set themselves apart from others, but to go out among others to proclaim the good news And we see the early church doing this. Read the book of Acts, the Acts of the Apostles. They go out and they make Gentile converts. And these Gentile converts that come in, they're not required to undergo circumcision. They're not required to follow all the dietary restrictions and the ritual purity laws of Moses. In fact, St. Paul has some very harsh things to say to people who try and require that. In his letter to the Galatians, He's very forceful in reminding them that Christ has set us free from the yoke of slavery. And if you try and justify yourself by works of the law, then you are falling from grace. You're turning your back on Christ. In Christ, he says, circumcision means nothing. Only faith working through love. So this helps us, I hope, understand why we as Christians today, we don't follow all those ritual laws that we find written in the book of Moses. I was talking with an evangelical Protestant one time that I knew and Uh, she was discovering the scriptures for the first time and so she was starting on page one and reading up to the end and she was getting through Leviticus and she's like, did you know that we're not supposed to eat, you know, certain types of meat? Did you know that we're not supposed to do this and we can't do that? And she was very excited about all these new rules that she was learning and I just kind of nodded and I said, come back and talk to me after you get to Acts. (laughs) So this is why we don't follow all these ritual laws. But, But what about the laws that we find there that say, you shall not kill? 
or you shall not steal, or you shall not commit adultery. What about those laws? Did Christ's coming liberate us from those laws? No, of course not. Because these deal with moral truths that belong to our nature as human beings. And Jesus did not come to liberate us from human nature. He came to perfect human nature by infusing it with his divine grace. And so this is why Jesus, even while he removes the burden of the ritual law, he seems to get even more strict when it comes to matters of the moral law. Listen to what he says in our gospel today. He says, you've heard that you should not murder. I tell you, you shouldn't hate each other. You've heard that you should not commit adultery, but I tell you, don't lust after one another. You've heard that you shouldn't lie under oath. I'm telling you, just be honest all the time. He bears down and he gets even more harsh with these matters. Because he wants so much more for us than just not to murder and not to commit adultery and not to bear false witness. He wants so much more for us than just avoid doing these sinful things. He wants us to be good people. He wants us to be people who don't need laws against murder or theft or adultery because we'd never think to do those things. He wants us to be saints. He wants us to be saints. And that's the goal of our faith. As we mature in the practice of our Christian faith, we should be maturing in sanctity. We should be purifying our hearts with the help of God's grace. You know, when you were growing up, you probably had certain rules that you were expected to follow in your house. I imagine a lot of them were the same as everybody else's, right? Don't run with scissors. Don't play with matches. Don't eat too much junk food. When you got a little bit older, maybe you had a curfew. Mom and dad expected you to be home by a certain time. Or you had a rule you had to finish your homework before you could watch TV. Right? We all had rules growing up. And if you were a good kid, you probably only had a few rules that you had to keep in mind. If you were an unruly child, and maybe there's one or two of you here who are unruly children, you probably had a lot more rules to try and keep you in check. Right? Why? Because it's not because your parents love making rules, but because they wanted to teach you how to be a good person. They wanted to teach you how to be responsible. Parents make rules for their kids to teach them how to be happy and healthy. That's what we want. That's what every parent wants for their child. But you know, as you grow up, you don't need mom and dad's rules anymore because hopefully you've learned the lessons that the rules were meant to teach you. You know, when parents send their kids off to college, no, no parent says, well, I hope he doesn't commit murder. <laughs> you know? Gee, I hope he doesn't commit adultery with anyone. You know? No, we say, I, I hope he makes good choices. I hope he remembers the lessons we tried to teach him. I, I hope my son or daughter is happy. I hope they're a good person. And this is how it is with God, right? This is, this is why God makes these laws and gives them to us. He's a loving father. And like any parent, what he wants most for us is just to be happy. And if we go against the moral law, if we go against our own nature, how we're made, that's not going to make us happy. 
We harm ourselves when we sin, when we do these things. And that's why our sin offends God. God is not offended because we broke his rules. He is not offended because we broke his rules. He is not egotistical in that way. God hates sin because sin harms those that he loves, namely you and me. He doesn't want to see us hurt. In the gospel that we read today, Jesus is teaching us, treating us like spiritual adults who are no longer living under the burden of the law. He liberates us from the yoke of the law, not so that we can be free to sin, but so that we might freely choose to do good choose to act with charity towards each other. Not because the law compels us to, but because love compels us to. The moral law is not some archaic code of 600 different rules that you have to memorize and worry about. It's simple. Love God more than anything else. Love your neighbor as yourself. Treat other people the way that you want to be treated. It's simple. It's within your reach. Now, it's hard in the doing sometimes. I'll admit that. It's not always easy to do what's right. But it's doable. If you choose, God will help you. You can choose to care about other people. You can choose to consider what their good is. Or you can choose to only think about yourself and your own interests. One way will make you happy. One way will make you miserable. There's a selfishness that lies at the heart of all these sinful inclinations, anger and lust and greed and all of these things, and it leads us to isolation and to loneliness and to misery. That's what hell is. You know, it occurred to me just a little while ago, there's probably no laws in hell. I'm sure in hell everybody does exactly what they want, but it's chaos and anarchy because everyone is so selfish and so isolated. And likewise, I can imagine there's no laws in heaven because in heaven, everyone does what they want. But it's paradise. And the difference is in heaven, all we want is what's good. All we want is what's loving. We're not in either one of those two places yet. And so the law has a purpose for us in this life. The law is there to help form us, to have hearts that choose what's loving that choose, that want to choose what's good. It's up to us which way we go. It's up to each one of us. God gives us the option every day, life or death, good or evil. And he provides us with the wisdom to choose rightly. So let's open up our eyes to consider the wonders of God's law. Blessed are they who follow the law of the Lord.